Hello everyone and welcome to our first podcast in the series Common European Framework of Reference CEFR Conversations hosted by Quality and Qualifications Island. Uh, my name is Sue Hackett um, and today I'm really happy to have Tom Kiddle with me to talk about the CFR and the QQI upcoming CFR briefings which Tom is going to be leading on. So welcome to the first podcast of the series Tom thank you. and thank you so much for agreeing to take part. Uh, I know you're the director of Norwich Institute for Language Education, Niall. Um, you've been there, I think, quite a while now, about 10 years, is it? Or 11, maybe? 11 years, yes. Is it really? Goodness me, time flies, doesn't it? And um, and you're also the current chair of Equals, which, in case anyone doesn't know, is an international language education accreditation organisation for high quality language providers. I know you're also a founding director of Aquaduto. Have I said that right? That's right. Yeah, Aquaduto. Um, an association for quality ed and training online. And I also know, because I've drawn on your expertise so many times in the past, that you have um, a particular expertise in, and interest in testing and assessment and teacher training amongst, of course, a whole range of other areas, I'm sure, as well. So our focus today is on the Common European Framework. So perhaps I can start by asking you why the Common European Framework was such a game changer in language education when it was introduced. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for having me today, Sue. Uh, and I hope this podcast series will be of great benefit to um, uh, schools and organisations across Ireland. Um, so the CEFR, uh, I think you're right, was a game changer and has continued to be a game changer, possibly the most important publication in our sector of this millennium, um, given that it was published in 2001. But of course, 2001, you know, the publication of the, um, the work in English and French wasn't um, the, the beginning. You know, this is 10 years of work from, from 1991 as the project started at the Council of Europe and it was also you know, uh, a follow-on from developments in the, the language education field, um, moving away from grammatical syllabuses to the idea of, of functions and um, linguistic notions and concepts being uh, more important than um, grammatical progression and, and um, chunks of uh, tenses to be learnt. Um, and the idea of, of a threshold level of being able to define a level of proficiency which applied to learners, um, whichever language they were learning, that got them into that survival uh, in, a, in another language um, was something that emerged in the 70s and 80s. Um, but it, with the publication, we finally and for the first time really had a, a reference work. And, and this is the the important R in the, um, the CEFR, that, that it's a framework of reference, it's a, a reference point for us to, to look to, to work from, to adapt, um, to make fit our individual context, to make applicable to individual learners, to programmes, to materials, to assessments that are based, and that gives us a uh, a common currency, a common language to talk about language proficiency. And that's really the key to why it was a game changer. It's that common currency, the way we can talk about language, language use and language learning and language proficiency with the same language, meaning the same things across context. 
and, and without that we're reduced to our, our norms being what defines the way we talk about language and our norms are different in different settings as we all know um the the setting in one country or one institution may be very different in terms of how the levels were organized um how the the tests were made meaningful in terms of their results how the the materials were applied to a particular level um so giving us that that common language to talk about and having a a set of illustrative descriptors to talk about what we we mean when we talk about a particular level or a particular part of language proficiency um, has been a, a huge benefit to the field. Not always used in, in every case in the most appropriate way. There's talk of CEFR misuse and abuse um, as well as right. CEFR use, um, but certainly uh, a really important reference work for the whole uh, language education sector. Yes, thank you for that. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when it when it kind of came in and took over from the sort of grammatical syllabus and the way that, you know, grammatical items, language items, functions were being just sort of listed as um, what what came up in any given program. So um, suddenly then, or not that suddenly, but suddenly to move to something that was learner focused and actually said what the learner will know or be able to do, et cetera, um, in terms of competences by, by, um, by, by the end of X time or X program, et cetera, was really a very radical shift. I can remember that from thinking, oh my goodness, what, what, it has such an impact on all areas, I guess. Uh, how do you think it's developed and sort of become embedded since um, since 2001 in particular? Well, I think that that concept of, of can do that you mentioned, the, the competences um, that uh, talk about learning in a positive way and not about what learners can't do or can't do yet or, um, has, has become uh, a very positive uh, development in our field and we're much more comfortable talking about progress in those terms. Um, I think the, the the framework and the reference to perhaps the most um, the most familiar part of the CEFR, which is the, the vertical dimension, the levels from um, C2 down to what's now pre-A1 um, in the, the companion volume, um, has been adopted very widely by publishers, by test users, by by language schools, um, through kind of portfolios and language passports by individuals, by learners talking about their competences, um, talking about their language proficiency in those levels. In some contexts, much more than in others, for sure. And I think we, we need to acknowledge this is not really uh, uh, an American uh, framework in terms of its adoption yet, uh, maybe it will be, um, but uh, very much in European and South American and Asian context, it has been uh, adopted with um, a great uptake in, in many ways. I think perhaps the lead on this has come from uh, materials uh, developers and from test publishers whose alignment processes vary from, from the very rigorous and the, uh, the very well documented um, to, you know, this is an A1 course book because it's a beginner course book and you know that's all the alignment I'm doing. Um, uh, but perhaps it hasn't had the uh, the depth of impact on 
the language school and the language teaching organization yet but it's it's becoming more and more familiar and i think that's part of what these briefings will do will bring it to to teachers and to to their learners and to institutions through their their syllabuses and their programs and their progress between courses and i think that's a really important development because of this commonality of language and the positivity of talking about competences and what learners leave being able to do with their language Yes, thank you. That's so interesting. And just your reference there to the briefings and, of course, our, our academic managers who are going to be uh, attending uh, the, the, the two briefings coming up, which um, which you're leading on um, and and what you're going to cover there. Um, what, what are the sort of key takeaways that you'd like the participants from the first briefing um, to walk away with? Um, it's a good question, and I think this will be kind of emergent uh, as as we work together uh, as a group. And I think there's a there's a really important part of what you're doing, which is this co-constructed learning and peer-to-peer -peer support um, across the the language teaching organisations in Ireland, um, because everybody is uh, in in the same boat in in a sense with with uh, the yeah. with the new guidelines that QQI is is working with so that peer to peer support and, and learning from each other will be really important um i want to uh, to emphasize the interrelatedness of um different as aspects of educational development and educational reform and that uh, the the areas of curriculum and syllabus and uh, teaching and learning materials and testing and assessment and teacher training are not silos and, and they need to be interconnected and we need to understand that a change in one aspect will have impact on changes in the other aspects or, or need to have um, for it to be a, a four-legged table rather than taking one leg away um, and doomed to failure. If you make a change in your course book, you're going to have a change in your curriculum and you're probably going to need a change in the assessment that goes with it. And therefore, teachers will be need to be trained on how to deal with that. Um, if you if you change the assessment, then you need to think about the curriculum that leads towards that assessment and the materials that will help you get there. And teachers need to be helped to, to work with that new model. So everything's interconnected. So firstly, an understanding there, but also an understanding that you can't change everything at the same time and you need to focus on one aspect um, with awareness of the other so we'll be looking in the briefings at the area of curriculum and syllabus development and how they can be related particularly in terms of how we can um, how we can write or, or adapt using the CEFR concrete and achievable learning outcomes for courses for programs uh, and how these lead back into uh, sequences of lessons to um, uh, parts of the curriculum which build up with uh, achievable um, competences throughout that achieve that uh, overall competence by the end of a programme and how we can align the syllabus towards those statements to give everybody confidence that there's a, a thread running through this and there's a, a an outcome that people are, are moving towards. And of course, there'll be differentiation within that and it may cover more than one CEFR level. It may be uh, um, distinct within a, a CEFR uh, level. Um, but having that understanding of, of learning outcomes and through that accessible learning outcomes, I think will be the, the key takeaway from this and how the, the CEFR, particularly the, the new illustrative descriptors um, in the companion volume, can support that in a huge way for language schools. 
That's that's so useful, Tom. And I know the schools are really the participants at the workshop are really going to benefit from um, from that focus. There's no question about that. I mean, we have all we have providers coming who offer all types of different programs, all types of different provision for all types of different learners, as you can imagine, from the long term student looking to go into higher education to, you know, the, the student um, enrolling for an, an kind of two or three week um, period into a particular level. I know that's going to be really useful as well around the learning outcomes. That's a very, um, a very, a very interesting point and a very good point to make. Um, I know um, it's always so useful even for the most experienced of us to be reminded and re refreshed in in this in this area. So um, I can see that the briefing is going to be a great sort of starting point and a launch into the QQI um, initiative around the Common European Framework and the new um, QA framework for language educators. Absolutely. And, and there's a, a lot of support there. One of the things that the main resources will be referring to will be the new publication um, from uh, British Council, UK Alta, EALTA uh, and ALTI, the, um, which is the aligning language education with the CEFR handbook, um, which is a really great reference resource talking about exactly this process of, of going through uh, aligning your, your curriculum and syllabus with uh, CEFR. And um, there's a lot of support out there because as you say there isn't a CEFR for short courses in uh, private language educations you need to work with the documentation to make it relevant to your context and to make those descriptors fit the things that your learners need to be doing uh, and so understanding how that that work can happen in teams in your institution empowering your teachers and your learners is, is um, a, a crucial outcome of the the briefings Thank you so much. That's that's really good to hear. And I know the participants are going to are really going to gain such a lot from it, irrespective of what perspective or what context they're they're bringing um, into the briefing with them. Um, uh, is there anything in particular, Tom, that you think the participants should um, investigate after the briefing? Is there anything between the two, let's say, after the first briefing and before the second briefing? Um, I think one of my, my mantras is um, too much innovation without consolidation um, leads us into a, a, a big mess. So one of the most important things will be to let the, the ideas percolate, to think about how they apply to the particular context that the, the attendees come from, acknowledging that they, they won't be the same. Um, but hopefully between our briefings, there'll be um, more guidelines coming from QQI, which will support the work we're doing in the, the initial session and lead us towards that thinking of, OK, um, We've familiarised ourselves with the CFR descriptors and the, and the relevance they have to our own context, our own uh, programmes and syllabuses. Um, we've looked at how we might specify how that works within our within our uh, documentation, uh, how we might standardise that across levels, across teachers, across learners in terms of being able to to talk about these uh, using 
language that's related to the CFR. And then the kind of the the bigger piece which comes and is an ongoing process is that building a, a validity argument. How do we document this? How do we not document this process? So that's going to be the the kind of the ongoing work between and following the the second briefing, um, which will be drawing on the the resources from the um, the QQI guidelines, from the alignment handbook, from the companion volume itself, um, from the original CFR and the introductory chapters which talk about the relationship between you know, language learning and language use and language proficiency um, and all the other resources that are out there. The, the fantastic work of, of our shared colleague Tim Goodyear um, on the descriptors for, for young learners, um, the 7 to 10 year old block and the 11 to 15 year old kind of teenager, young teenager block, all of these additional resources from the Council of Europe that support application of the CEFR to, to different contexts than you know, the adult learner. That sounds great, and I suspect those are resources that a lot of the participants won't be familiar with. So that'll be really useful to highlight them um, in the briefings at the same time. And as you say, uh, not to be overwhelmed by the scale, perhaps, of the learning and the work that the briefings may um, uncover for the participants, but to, you know, see it as a starting point and to plan in such a way that it is practical and uh, doable. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That that idea of, of um, making this uh, development manageable for your institution and the, the teams that you have available and deciding who's part of that decision making process is going to be a crucial part of the uh, the briefings as well to uh, not put it all on a single person's shoulders and, and to see this as a an ongoing developmental process that will be supported by QQI um, rather than something which you need to start and finish um, by next Wednesday afternoon. Precisely. And we really hope that the participants will talk to each other as well and sort of develop those sort of peer relationships. So when they have a question, they can ask us. They can also ask what their peer are doing um, in relation to the same uh, question area as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think sharing of um, <coughs> approaches, but also sharing of the more practical aspects, the, the templates, the way you're recording the decisions you make. Um, it, it's going to be very useful if people have that peer to peer relationship and, and co-construct or share those those pieces of documentation, which will support anybody being able to look in from the outside or from the inside and understand, OK, this is why this decision was made and this is why we do things this way, which can be lost in the folk history of uh, language teaching organizations very quickly. Tom, thank you so much. I think that's been the most interesting and a great first conversation. Um, I know we have you penciled in for some later podcasts um, post, uh, post the first briefing. So we look forward to, or I look forward to having a further conversation with you then. But for the time being, thank you um, for joining and thank you for um, being our first CEFA uh, conversation. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening and look forward to meeting some of you uh, in Dublin very soon.